Welcome to Rationalist, everybody. I'm your co-host, Morgan Wack, and I'm here with the camaraderie, Eddie Matthews, and special guest, been teased more than a Marvel movie. We have the one, the only, Professor Nico Switek calling in all the way from Cologne. Welcome, Eddie and Nico. Good to be back. Well, what are we talking about today? We, we have to make sure we have our, uh, our German friend here. Nico, can you hear us? Or have you, he's come on just to tease the, the listeners one last time. There we go. Here he is. <laughs> yeah, the, the internet here in Germany is pretty bad, so uh, hopefully well, I don't get disconnected. Well, just so you know, you're pretty much, I think, for most uh, rationalist listeners, you're going to be our insight into all of German culture. So now... Most people are going to think that Wi-Fi is just terrible in general. So we're going to be generalizing pretty much everything you say in your experience to the whole of Germany. So that's okay. uh, you have a big burden to bear there. So I got to be really careful what I say. Because <laughs> our, mass- our massive audience will be will have dramatic repercussions for German-U.S. relations. So just, uh, yeah, just keep not. that in mind. <laughs> no, I'm just messing around. Well, welcome, Nico. Thank you. Thanks for having me. It's great to be on this uh famous podcast absolutely yeah i know it's big in germany uh, uh dash rationalish is at the top of uh, many lists end of year podcast reviews uh, that sort of thing you you have a big fan base yeah i'm, <laughs> I'm sure uh, spotify number one i think last time i checked no doubt in, in germany. Uh, i would imagine so yeah i would expect no less um so what are what are we here to talk about today eddie uh the recent german election and the transfer of power and uh, and maybe a little bit about uh, a reflection on Angela Merkel's reign and its uh, ups and downs. And that's why we brought our uh, distinguished guest on. Absolutely. I think we, we want to kind of get some for kind of a beginner introduction to German politics as well. Because, you know, unlike Eddie and myself, who are very cultured and, of course, aware of the many intricacies of the Bundestag, et cetera, et cetera, uh, many of our listeners will not uh, know quite as much, I think, we were talking offline. I think uh, U.S. kind of history of German-U.S. relations and our, our understanding of, of Germany or to skip about four decades. There was a wall. It fell down. Then Angela, Mer- Angela Merkel took over, and now we're here. So that's uh, we've got big, <laughs> big gaps to fill, and hopefully you can uh, give us some insight into the current state of affairs. Yeah, you know, so that was actually my job at the University of Washington, teaching people a bit more uh, about German politics. Uh, so and, my ignorance and... is your fault, then. That's uh, that's what you're saying. Well, oh, you didn't listen. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know. You took the wrong classes. I mean, very I, true, I teach, very true. teach other stuff, too. Ooh. But um, yeah, I'm, I'm happy. I think it's it's a good timing because just, uh, you know, um, we just have the new chancellor. So there's uh, a lot of stuff uh, to talk about. Absolutely. That sounds well. So let's start with that. Uh, Will, how long was um, kind of this? It seems like from from our side, at least, kind of the end of an era with Angela Merkel leaving. I know she was in power for a very long time, and it she was not only kind of a, a bedrock of stability for for Germany, but for the entire kind of European Union. So it, it does definitely feel like a seismic shift. And so I'd be curious to know if it, if it feels that way on the ground, or does it feel more like a continuation just with someone else at the helm, that being Olaf Scholz. No, absolutely. That was a great uh, description. And um, it's interesting because I'm still kind of comparing uh, things in, in the US political system to Germany as, as I just got back to Germany. And 
Um, I mean, you, you mentioned the peaceful transfer of power, which in itself uh, is nice to have, uh, you know, without any protests or riots uh, along the way. So I guess that's an accomplishment. Um, and of course, you can see we have no term limits for, for the prime minister or chancellor. So, uh, I mean, Angela Merkel has been in power 16 years, which is a really long time. Um, and there's actually talk about maybe if we should have term limits, uh, because even if, if a lot of people, she's very popular still. Um, and I don't know if she would have run again, she might have won again, who knows. Um, but still, it's it's a long time and democracy is about change. So, um, you know, sometimes it's good to have rules about that and kind of push people out after um, a couple terms, uh, at least. Um, but so, yeah, I mean, there's a lot of continuity, I would say, with Olaf Scholz, because he was finance minister before. And just as a type, he's, you know, he resembles Merkel very much. So not a lot of humor, very dry, um, very competent, of course, but very much focused on on issues, not joking around. Um, but then was he the designed other... by like an American stereotype factory? Because I think you're just, you're describing what all Germans are presented like in sitcoms throughout the United States. Yeah, I think he's he's pretty close. So maybe there was some <laughs> PR marketing. You know, how how can we sell Germany to to the states? Uh, this guy is perfect because uh, he he'll fit any any stereotype. So I mean, we, we'll you you can tell me after the first White House visit. Um, you know how you perceive him or what you heard of him, but he's, um, I mean, he's very, very serious. Uh, so um, it's, it's the, the press conferences aren't that much fun because Merkel at least had, had this subliminal sense of humor, but I haven't seen any of that yet. So um, German politics might get a bit more boring, but I was just going to say on the other hand, that's kind of the continuity, but then we have for the first time a three-party coalition government um, and three parties who haven't governed together before. So that's kind of new. And that's maybe what's, what's interesting about the next four years coming up. What is this word coalition? What is, what is that? I, I don't think we understand uh, this side of the pond. Yeah. We know democracy with two parties. <laughs> Not all of these. Uh, we don't need these frivolous third Democrats parties. Yeah. <laughs> How, how can there be more than two options, right? I mean, it's A or B. How, how could you choose C or D even? Yeah, um, it's Pepsi or Coke. We don't talk about right. the Mr. Pib. We don't talk about root beer. It's, you got two options. Yeah, so this is different here. I mean, you, you know that we have a multi-party system and it's mainly because of proportional representation. So there's smaller parties. And then uh, typically, you know, not, not one party commands a majority. So parties need to cooperate to, to form a government, to have a, a majority in parliament that kind of supports or props up the government. Um, and I mean, now with three parties, I mean, you could even talk about like, a, um, you know, a tripartisanship. So, you know, the parties here are even able to uh, cooperate uh, three parties, uh, not just two. Um, so it speaks kind of for uh, the somewhat more consensual style of politics um, in Germany. I mean, it, it was a pretty intense election campaign, um, especially because there was no incumbent running. That's kind of new as well. Typically, there was an incumbent chancellor running or the chancellor was replaced during the legislative period. So um, this was, for the, for the first time, this was a very open situation, um, which led to some, uh, interestingly, uh, negative campaigning. Um, 
but i mean that's kind of still the the main thing in germany that there's a lot of cooperation even if the parties compete during election time yeah well so they've called this coalition the traffic light coalition or at least that's what they seem to call in the u.s um, so we have the Social Democrats who got the majority of the votes. So they're center left. Free Democrats tend to be pro business, to my understanding, and the Greens kind of pro climate. So that's those are the three um, kind of parties that formed the coalition. And was this really surprising to see those three align, or because those were tended to be left leaning, was that not a surprise? Or can you walk us through the, the kind of coalition forming negotiations and how that worked? Yeah. Um, I mean, that's, I don't know why Germans come up with these funny names for the coalitions, uh, you know, traffic light or the uh, conservative liberal green coalition was called Jamaica coalition because of the, the, the colors of the parties resemble the Jamaican flag. So all have all coalitions have these nicknames. Um, and it was one of these two was the um, uh, most likely outcome of the election because we had a grand coalition before of the conservative Christian Democrats and the Social Democrats, but that was very unpopular. So it was kind of clear that this coalition probably will not be continued. Um, and then decisive was that the, the conservative, the Christian Democrats, that is the party of Angela Merkel, um, had a pretty bad showing at the election. So they came in second place and the Social Democrats came in first. And that kind of made them more likely to, you know, claim the office of chancellor and kind of lead successful coalition negotiations. What was interesting that time is that it was kind of the smaller liberal pro-business um, free Democrats and the Greens that kind of came together and said, OK, with which bigger party do we want to work? Uh, and kind of it was them who picked the coalition model, the smaller parties, and not as much the um, the larger party, even though the Social Democrats are considered to be the winner of the election. What is the kind of differentiating issues that allowed the parties that ended up getting into the coalition to separate themselves from from the Christian Democrats and maybe the AFD or whatever? What are, what are they kind of been campaigning on? And what is what is the expectation in Germany that they'll deliver kind of against the Angela Merkel, you know, reign. Yeah. So, I mean, you know, climate change is, uh, uh, the, was kind of the biggest issue after the pandemic maybe. Um, but it's, um, so that was kind of the signature issue of the Greens and the Social Democrats mainly campaigned on kind of questions of um, social inequality, respect was kind of the slogan, the, the election campaign slogan. Um, and so, and it's kind of now the, the Social Democrats and the Green who kind of are more the national coalition partners, and it's the, um, the liberals who are kind of the odd man out and are kind of more the pro-business part in the coalition and who were against higher taxation, uh, against more redistribution. Um, so it's, it's kind of an odd mix. And you could say that probably they will be most successful on issues of climate change and also maybe social cultural issues. So they call themselves a very progressive coalition. And that's kind of true if you look at the liberal party, because they are kind of right in socioeconomic issues, but they tend to be rather progressive. So supporting same-sex marriage um, uh, and, and further issues. So that's going to be an area where they will be able, without the conservative Christian Democrats, to kind of push the the status quo a bit more than before so in in terms so we you know we're americans we're going to put everything in terms of our american politics even though i know they don't map well but i'm kind of curious <laughs> right about that what what is it if we were trying to 
say this party is the Democrats, this party is the Republicans. Does it kind of then become the, the Greens are on the far left, the AFD is on the far right? Or would you say there are kind of other axes that don't really exist in the U.S. that the coalition system or German society in general kind of enables or accentuates? Yeah, you're, you're right. I mean, typically we would say even most of the most of the European party systems, you kind of have these two dimensions um, and, you know, which is easier to sort if you have more than two parties, because um, if you have the two parties, it's just easy to kind of place them on that on that one conflict uh, dimension. And it's, you know, and we did that uh, and, and looked at kind of ways to analyze election manifestos and kind of place parties in a, in a political space. And it's always interesting to see that um, you know, kind of Bernie Sanders, who's with his positions, is considered to be like extreme left in the US, is kind of a moderate social democrat, like very centrist in European party system terms. So um, it, it is kind of different. Uh, and Eddie already mentioned, I mean, the, the liberals, um, it's the liberal parties in Europe typically uh, have a different stance than what you would understand. If, if you look at liberal, talk about liberal in the US, you typically mean progressive. And in Europe, it means pro-business uh, uh, in a way. And you only understand those liberal parties, the placement, if you look at those two conflict dimensions and kind of know that they combine um, positions on those two axes. Yeah, and can you mention real quick what uh, AFD is, Nico? And I believe they got 10% of the vote. And is that concerning for, you know, your average liberally minded German or is that, not as concerning because they got less votes than the last election or what, can you talk about AFD? Yeah. Well, you, you talked about the, the um, big points in German history uh, and of course the Nazi rule and, and the second world war is one of the biggest concerns of, of German history. And that's why the, the party is kind of worrisome because they are at the right, far right of the, of the German parties and, it's not clear they're the kind of a new party. So um, they uh, entered the parliament for the first time in 2017. Uh, and now they managed to um, enter the parliament again. They, they lost a little bit, um, uh, vote share drop, but still it's a success for them. So you could kind of argue that they're established now. And with their kind of far right position, especially in Eastern Germany, they're far more radical than in, um, in the Western German parts. And, and they do have some connections to skinhead groups, former neo-Nazi groups. So uh, this is for, especially for Germany with its history, uh, that's, that's really worrisome. Uh, and, and they drew a lot of protest voters, uh, but they, there's also some kind of neo-fascist, fascist uh, ideology in, involved. And it's still not clear how influential those groups are with, within the party. And are those kind of uh, geographically assigned to specific particular areas in the country or are they kind of spread throughout Germany? Voters for the AFD, I mean. Yeah, uh, that's interesting because often people say it's a, it's a party of um, uh, East, uh, East Germany, uh, they're, they're stronger in, in the new states, but that's not fully true. So they have kind of regional strongholds. So um, they're very strong in Thuringia and Saxony. Um, so sometimes the strongest uh, party, if, if you look at district level, uh, so that's where they're very strong, but not everywhere in um, uh, in Eastern Germany. There's even some regional strongholds in, in Western Germany. 
Um, so, but they have a, a lot of uh, intra-party uh, struggles because they have different wings, and it's still not clear if it if the party will um, stay as one party or if they might split because um, the uh, there's so many conflicts. What the future direction of the party should be or what the party strategy should be. So it's not a given that the party um, will stay uh, will stay in the parliament forever. Uh, but it's still, it's, it's, I think for, for Germans, and I got a lot of questions when I uh, taught at the University of Washington. So a lot of people were interested in just understanding, okay, is this, uh, you know, a, a difficult direction Germany is taking with this um, too radical party represented in the parliament? So gotcha. So that's, uh, I mean, we always find that sort of thing interesting, extremism and all that. But I know your, your specialty is actually on the other side, which is with the Greens. So maybe you can give us a brief overview of who the Greens are and kind of what maybe what they would represent to kind of American citizens and what they're bringing to this new coalition. Yeah, I mean, you, you might have heard of the Green New Deal, I think, which is a, a slogan in, in the U.S. as well. So kind of, uh, you know, trying to, to um, influence the industry to shift them in a, in a more direction of renewable energies um, and, and create more jobs in those sectors. And um, so the, the German Greens are interesting because they're one of the younger parties. So kind of part of this uh, ecological libertarian uh, party family that was um, uh, based on the, the new social movements in the, the 70s and 80s. And they, they were pretty radical at the beginning as well. Um, but they kind of moved more to the center of the German party system. And especially in this election, it was interesting because there were times um, kind of last year where they were polling as the strongest party in Germany. So typically there were just this, you could say, single digit party that was, you know, had a lot of issues in their uh, election manifesto was mainly recognized by the voters caring about the environment, um, you know, focusing on ecological issues. And, you know, this time it was even there was even the question if they could be the strongest party would there be a, a chancellor from from the Green Party? So they presented a chancellor candidate and only kind of in, in the last month leading up to the election, there was a significant drop in, in the polls. And in the end, it was, you know, the Social Democrats who had been doing poorly before who kind of came in first place. But um, they, they're getting, because there's a lot of attention on questions of, of climate change, so, so they're getting a lot of recognition. In Germany, voters see them as the original in questions of environmental politics so they um get, they have over 100,000 members now so i think they they will be an important what is it about germany or german politics in general that has allowed a party that kind of promotes climate change as a primary issue or a coalition that promotes climate change as a primary issue to rise to the top and you know get elected i think in the us it's perceived that climate change is not an electable policy, if not the exact opposite of that. It's kind of hush-hush, even though we know it's happening. Yeah, are they, I wonder, are, are, are in Germany, is the, are the Greens better at messaging than, you know, the kind of the Bernie Sanders progressives here? Or do, do they make climate change a lot more concrete? Because I feel like it's so communicated as such an abstract thing here still. Yeah, that's a that's a good point. I I mean, it, I guess part is the messaging, but also it's it's about organization, right? So I think in in the U.S., if you have the the two party system, it's just hard to 
you know, beside the, the overall big tens of the two parties to raise awareness for smaller issues in, in a way. And if, if you have a party, a political party that represents that issue and that has an organization and a leadership and membership, um, I mean, it, it's just able to, you know, represent that issue better. And, and it took a long time. I mean, the, the Greens started in the uh, 1980s as a party and now they're, they're pretty influential and they were part of a government before with the Social Democrats. Um, but it, you know, it's kind of it's a long-term project, and it, it, it took them decades to uh, kind of have that influence in, in German politics. But then again, I mean, even with the conservatives, there are no real climate deniers. So it just seems that the issue is just more accepted. And even in in the European Union, I mean, there's ambitious uh, uh, plans for a green deal. So. It's uh, it's kind of I think more consensus that this is real and that what uh, you know science tell us there's something we have to do um, and it's it's less um, a political issue. I mean the the discussion is you know how can we change our way of life and how what can we do against climate change and I think here you even have the same problems um, you have that you see around the world that people in general agree you know we have to do something against climate change but then does that mean I can fly less or I have to eat less meat, you know, or have yeah. to pay higher prices? Um, and that's where it gets difficult. So I remember that just when I arrived at um, in, in Washington, there was this carbon tax um, uh, vote, right? Do people uh, want the introduction of a carbon tax? And that failed. So as soon as it's about, well, there's going to be higher taxes, um, people are reluctant uh, to to follow through. So would you say, um, despite recent success, you agree with uh, the preeminent layman uh, philosopher Kermit in that it's not usually easy being green? <laughs> yeah, that's, that's, yeah. Very, I can't very tell you though, how many conversations I've had with Morgan calling me from Seattle saying, I don't know what they're talking about. It's raining outside and it's cold. Doesn't really feel like global warming to me. Time after time, every single winter I get that call. I'm like, oh, yeah, you know, a lot of people kind of regretted us when we told them we were moving to Seattle uh, and, and, you know, telling us that myth about it's always raining. But I mean, that's just not true. I mean, we had so many wonderful days. And um, I think it's just a story made up to keep people from moving there because it's just, you know, too beautiful. Uh, and, and the city is already uh, growing too fast. Um, so we're going to have but... to cut this from the podcast. You're not allowed to say that. Yeah, that's the secret. You have to keep it under wraps. <laughs> oh, okay. okay. Yeah, I, I see. And now you're even talking to Germans, right? So there's going to oh, be a lot man. of Germans moving to Seattle. Now. Yeah. Oh, we can't have that. <laughs> <laughs> well, so I'm wondering, can we talk about uh, Angela Merkel, nicknamed Muti, I understand. Is she, uh, is she pulling at 70% approval rating right now? Is that right? Yeah, she's, she's very, still very popular, yeah. Yeah, so she's kind of described as a pragmatist, like a manager, not a visionary. Um, is and it sounds like Olaf Scholz is kind of you know carrying on that tradition. Uh, yeah. It seems like she was criticized. She was praised and criticized for the Syrian refugee crisis. I think she let she let in what over a million uh, refugees during that time, and then um, you know maybe criticized for that partly. Uh, would you say that that helped? kind of fuel AFD in the aftermath of that kind of anti-immigration 
party and um yeah so you can just talk about her legacy a little bit as we look back on this 16 years yeah i mean that's a very big question uh but i mean the the um refugee crisis you mentioned uh is is one interesting point because typically she was criticized for being too presidential and being above things and always moderating and and you know never really taking serious decisions and just you know looking um where uh, what, what the majority of the voters want, which is responsiveness in the end. But, um, you know, she was criticized in not being a political leader uh, and, and giving direction. But then there's some very famous decisions she made also with kind of phasing out nuclear energy, which already was done with the first uh, um, national government with green participation uh, and then reversed by her government. And then Fukushima happened, the nuclear catastrophe in Japan. And then she reversed that decision. So Germany is actually phasing out nuclear energy um, right now. Um, and so and a similar thing is the, the, the refugee situation where, you know, she as a kind of conservative Christian Democratic Party, you might have assumed that, you know, with the influx of refugees, the party would kind of try to close the borders and try to keep the refugees in Turkey or Greece or Italy. And um, she kind of said, this is a situation of, you know, uh, an emergency situation and we need to do something because refugees have, are stranded in, in Hungary and those governments don't really want to help them. And so she decided to let some uh, refugees come to Germany uh, and, and that kind of um, spurred further movement. So even more and more people came and, and so people hold her responsible for this. And, and you're right, the AFD was already kind of on, on the way out. So they were founded as a Eurocritical party and mainly um, advocating against the single currency, the Euro, um, and, and more kind of focused on economic issues. And then after that situation, they pivoted and now they focused on, on migration, immigration issues. And that's where they kind of rose in the, in the polls again. Um, so that kind of kept the, the party alive. And, and there were a lot of people, and it's interesting because Merkel still is very popular with social democratic and green voters because they love that decision and said she did the right thing. And it was more kind of her own party who said, hmm, uh, we don't really agree. That was the, the wrong uh, position for a conservative uh, leader to take. Um, and so I think probably, you know, now um, after she, she left office, there's going to be more and more analyses kind of looking at her decisions and, and how they, um, you know, influence German politics. But in again, you know, Germany fiscally is doing very well and, and had a balanced budget before the pandemic and that allowed them to spend a lot of money um, kind of to fight um, the economic crisis after the pandemic. So overall, I think she has a, um, a good track record. Uh, so that kind of explains her, her sympathy levels um, as well. You noted that the the AFD was sort of founded on uh, Euro skepticism. I'm wondering if you could kind of remark on why uh, such a large portion of Germans would be so distasteful of Mediterranean food. <laughs> don't, Nico, you don't have to answer that question. Uh, speaking of the Mediterranean, another big uh, thing in, in her tenure, right, was the kind of taking on the, the Greece debt and being a stalwart for the euro and the EU. And I'm just wondering, so I did my PhD in Wales and the whole time I was there, it was, you know, Brexit negotiations every single day yeah. in the news for three years straight. And so I'm wondering if you just talk a little bit about um, what her kind of leadership and her consistency in supporting the euro and the EU 
meant for holding up the EU as an institution and Germany playing such a huge role in that as, you know, Brexit happened and the UK left. Yeah. Yeah, that uh, situation because, you know, in the Euro crisis, um, Merkel was very strict. Uh, I mean, the one goal was to, to, keep, to keep Greece um, in uh, the Euro and in the EU, but also to be very strict that they have to repay their debt. And, um, you know, uh, so, and then in the refugee crisis, it was, you know, a lot of refugees coming to Greece. Uh, and so she needed to work with Greece on, on this on this issue. Uh, so that was kind of an interesting uh, double bind. Um, there were, um, I mean, there were questions if she should have showed more solidarity um, in, in the Euro crisis and kind of, you know, allowed for quicker economic uh, recovery. Um, but she was, I mean, followed kind of the, the more fiscal conservative line. And it's interesting because, in, you know, in the corona pandemic, she, again, she changed her position. Um, and there was the question, how can Europe get out of the recession after this pandemic? And here, Germany, for the first time, agreed that um, the the EU, the Commission, can take up common debt because uh, you know the EU with Germany as kind of a heavy heavyweight can can borrow money way cheaper uh, than than the individual countries can. Uh, and so she kind of again had a change and and said, you know, in this big crisis, we need to show solidarity and kind of change uh, the rules. So it's it's interesting to see different situations and and she had different priorities uh, at times and maybe this was also a result of her knowing you know this is my last um couple years uh, and this is i will step down as chancellor so it's maybe easier to take bold decisions because i'm not running for re-election yeah that makes a lot of sense i think that uh within germany is it is she seen uh, you know, whether you're center right or center left, um, or, you know, basically near the center for your average voter, is she seen as kind of a principled leader or is she seen more as your, um, I don't know, seen as more reactionary, which you mentioned earlier? Or I'm just curious because I feel like in the U.S. it's almost impossible to see a major politician as a principled leader right now. It's just so divided and so the, the mainstream is so skeptical, you know, of our mm. leaders. Yeah, that's that's a great question because I'm not really sure um, how she's seen, and and it probably differs a lot by, you know, the the social group you'll you'll ask. And uh, it it was so interesting. She she was invited to give a commencement speech in Harvard, and and you know that's kind of when she was introduced. Uh, I listened to that, so kind of seeing what is the U.S. American image of her, and she was lauded for being progressive for you know allowing for same-sex marriage was which is unusual for a conservative party and it was actually that you know she didn't kind of sponsor that initiative she just said you know that there's going to be an open vote on this issue um you know not along party lines and she actually voted against it right so but still she got credit for doing that so she's i think she's you know seen more positive um for actions she's not in part responsible for. And and so I think everybody has, you know, the, the, the green voters who say she did a great job in, in refugee crisis. Um, and on the opposite, people say, you know, that was kind of the uh, the, the downfall and, and she did the wrong thing. So um, I don't think she's, she's, it's more that she, in certain situations, people w will say she discovered 
her principles in in you know those difficult situations and it depends on on your political affiliation if you like or or disagree with with that uh, with those principles i mean it's it's a difficult question i mean hopefully that was kind of um, some form of answer but it's yeah it's a good question I'm, I'm still struggling with that too i have a question just in general about kind of female politicians um i think in if you were to have you know, i know 100 people throughout the world randomly name female prominent female politicians i would say 90 90 percent of them would probably name angela merkel and so i'm wondering I know, and I know the Green Party leader was also a woman. And so I'm wondering if, if you think that her legacy for kind of female politicians and kind of gender equality will be something that is kind of tied to her legacy in Germany and why it is that Germany has been at the forefront of uh, kind of promoting politicians that are not necessarily just white males. Yeah, also a great question. Um, yeah, I, I mean, I think she... Um she changed things and, and our perception of, you know, what we understand like the natural leader or, or chancellor to be. And, and there was a lot of criticism when she started out um, in 2005 and a, a lot of misogyny directed at her. So I think people, you know, um, were not used to seeing a, a female chancellor and it's, it's way more normal now. Um, then again, I mean, her style, I'm not sure how much you can um, say, or talk, you know, put that into a gender category. And it's interesting because I think she, you know, shone a lot brighter because you had an, an, a somewhat erratic, um, agitated US president at the time. So, you know, she seemed even more calm and rational um, that, you know, than before. Uh, and so, I mean, she, you know, there weren't any scandals, you know, there weren't any um, private jets she flew on or, you know, any um, political corruption. She's a very down to earth politician. You never had the, you know, you trust her with your money. You, you would never think she'd, uh, um, you know, do anything just to, for herself uh, to profit from that. So, I mean, in a way, she's a very um, ideal politician, um, even though notwithstanding what we said before, that you could dis disagree on, on certain um, political issues. And you mentioned the, the Green candidate, uh, Baerbock. I mean, that was interesting to see. And that's another mix, probably, that people were kind of in a way scared maybe to see that could be a green chancellor. It's still kind of a somewhat small party. And do we trust that party to kind of lead the government? Um, but there was a lot of negative campaigning and also specifically directed at her um, and, and kind of some, you know, sexist uh, um, argument against her. So um, it, it's still, I think it's still harder um, for women to compete in politics and kind of the standard or default is kind of this male uh, vision or version of politics um, and that still needs some time to kind of correct that yeah that's a you know uh troubling but also i guess i guess it's glad there's progress i just want to point out i'm i'm the only thing that stood out to me there was the fact that in germany you're considering flying on a private jet as like a, a scandal <laughs> <laughs> i feel like that happens like twice a week here we don't even blink an eye but uh, okay I, no, let me add uh, to some resort where you're doing shady deals and fair just enough, flying fair on enough. a private jet is, is not a criminal offense you're right yeah yeah i was talking with a. Uh, 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 professor friend who uh, I, I took German in college, Nico, I will have you know. And wow. uh, I was talking to this uh, German professor friend, always American, but he talked German. 
and uh, I think he was mentioning like a, a plagiarism scandal in German politics with a major candidate. I can't remember which candidate, but I was like, oh, for the days when plagiarism was you know the biggest <laughs> scandal of the political time. Yeah, yeah, um, th- th- yeah, that was her. That was uh, the green candidate, Baerbock. And I, I think that was kind of a, a self-own because, you know, she she kind of had to publish a book last minute, um, you know, to kind of lay out her plans. Uh, and, you know, that was already when, when she was running the campaign. And so, of course, somebody else had to write it and, and he wasn't very careful. And so they found a couple quotes that were lifted. I mean, it wasn't really that bad, but, you know, they weren't attributed to the source. Um, so, and and she got some criticism and actually the, the book is not being sold anymore. Um, you have to understand that there were a couple prominent cases before. So there was a, a very um, popular um, defense minister uh, who's kind of started this trend uh, um, some time ago, but the problem was he kind of, you know, lifted 50% of his thesis was from sources he just copied. He said, I, I, I mixed up my discs and so I got confused. Uh, that was his strategy, <laughs> but he, he had to resign um, in, in the end. And so that's why since that day, you know, every politician who has a PhD is kind of scanned and um, and so kind of her book got the, the same treatment and there was people were primed kind of to seeing okay, plagiarism is something bad and you know if she's running for chancellor and she um, she has difficulties with that book you know that might be a problem but it I don't think it was that big of an issue there was more there were a couple more mistakes and you know the general mood for the party was kind of going down and people were opting more for continuity and stability and Olaf Scholz who they know um, so it, it wasn't exclusively her fault, but it was a mistake in the campaign to publish that book, I would say. Let that be a cautionary tale for you, Morgan, for your dissertation defense. Don't mix up your discs the night before. <laughs> uh, I've got all this lined up. Don't worry. There's a bunch of discs all in a file. It's good to go. Yeah. Or if, 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 you do, <laughs> if you do, don't run for president. True. <laughs> so. There you go. <laughs> Yeah, I feel like it's probably much harder to get away with plagiarism with computers. Like back when that guy was doing it off discs, somebody had to actually read it, notice it, go check and cross-reference. Whereas now you can kind of just upload it to the internet and see what matches. Yeah, that's true. And even, I mean, they they kind of went back to some, you know, theses that were written in, in typewriter times, right? And started checking typewriter those. Times. And um, so, you know, it's, uh, and they, you know, just working on research was very different at that time. So, yeah. Um, yeah. Well, we know it's late over there uh, for you, Nico. So we are extremely grateful for your time and joining us are there any kind of final thoughts about this election or the future for germany and i'd love to hear yeah like your thoughts on what what americans can take away and maybe something positive though what do you think that germany might be able to learn from us if there's anything you can also just yeah make make you know uh, (laughs) well i think we don't know anything about coalition so i think there's been some positive aspects here that we've talked about maybe you can kind of emphasize why it why coalition politics kind of benefit the people in ways that we might not know about here yeah um it, it's so interesting because it's it's just you know different times uh, i remember you know just a few decades ago um, i mean it was just you know multi-party systems were seen as too um too slow to change you know too status quo oriented too many veto players you know you can't get any changes through because every stakeholder is kind of involved um and the 
you know, just two party systems are just way more efficient and uh, quicker in, in reacting to crises. And this kind of, you know, changed around. Now there's all this talk about polarization. And if you just two party, if you just have two parties, you have to choose a camp. It's for us or against us. Uh, and so, I mean, it, it's, it, you know, with the multi-party system, you have more options to choose from. And then if you if those parties and the elites and the parties are willing to work together after the election, I mean, that's a good sign for, for a healthy democracy. And I think they, they have a pretty ambitious coalition agreement. That's another thing about those coalitions. Um, they, they try to be pretty transparent. I mean, there, there are no rules about this, right? So this is not written anywhere in the constitution or the basic law. It's just kind of practiced by the parties, how they cooperate but they have the routine that they present a coalition agreement and they kind of enumerate what they want to do. So, you know, you can kind of see, so what did they agree on? And then after the four years, you can go back and kind of try to see and check, well, what did they achieve um, from their goal? So I think that's, you know, a, um, a good way forward and it, it's a new coalition. So they managed to build this new coalition that we haven't seen before, uh, which is, is a first um, and, and I do think they have, you know, questions of climate change. We talked about this progressive modernization of, of some sectors of, of the society. Um, but then again, you can also see that, you know, the, the first conflicts are showing up. It's still difficult to, to have those parties working together. So it's not a given that they will be able to govern all the, four, the, the whole four years. Um, you know, there might be a breakup of, of the coalition. But I mean, still, you know, take take a look um, at our coalition system. Try to learn from it, and uh, maybe there's there's something you you can take away um, about political compromise. <laughs> I don't, but yeah. I mean, in in yeah. the end, the systems are very different. So you're right. I mean, it's you do have a party system, so a lot of mechanisms just work. You have a presidential system; a lot of mechanisms are just different, and there's no just easy way to transfer this to to the U.S. Well, that's, uh, we'll have to have you back on next time there's maybe the first big conflict uh, between the parties or next time there's, there's something going on that Germany's at the forefront of, which I'm sure will be pretty soon. Of course, yeah. Or, or the next World Cup. True. Ooh, yeah, of True. course. Yeah. Uh, next time I expect you to have at least 30% more German-based puns, though. Uh, gonna have to, <laughs> you're going to have to come prepared. Well, you know us Germans, right? We're very serious. No, no joking around. So, that's, sorry. That's why I'm, I said planned. I'm not expecting you to be off the cuff. Oh, okay. Yeah, I, I have to write them down before. That's a good idea. Yeah, that fits the profile. Well, perfect, Nico. I'm so glad we finally had you on. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. It was great of talking course. to you. Have a good one. Uh, thanks, Nico. Uh, Take cheers. care. Adios, cheers. rational listeners. Cheers, Eddie. Cheers, Morgan. Take care. <laughs>